Well, is that getting you in the mood? It's the holiday season. Skippity-doo, scoppity-bop. Hope you all are ready for this. Christmas is officially upon us. Thanksgiving is in the rear view mirror. Some of you are are perhaps thinking like, seriously, like we're, we're already moving on to the Christmas stuff. You betcha, we are excited for it. But if you're one of those people that maybe just kinda sorta gets a little excited for this time of the year, but if you're honest, this time of the year also really stresses you out. I, I think that you're really gonna enjoy this series that we are diving into here during the month of December called Travel Light. You already knew that because hopefully you're paying attention to those videos that play right before I jump up here. But what we're hoping to do here over these next couple of weeks is, is remind all of you and remind myself, because I, I definitely need to be reminded of this, that this world is not our home. But perhaps you can find yourself relating to this a little bit. As I travel through my life, it is amazing. It is incredible how much of the wrong kind of stuff that I end up accumulating. I, I accumulate hurts. I accumulate resentment. I, I, I accumulate junk that, that felt really, really important at one point in my life, but now it sits in a corner unused collecting duds. I, I accumulate these seeds of, of discontentment that give birth to all sorts of other problems. And so here during this month of December, we're going to talk about letting go of some of that stuff that's, that's holding us back. That, that stuff that weighs us down and, and ultimately holds us back from living the life that God so desperately wants for you. Which, by the way, if, if you're sitting here today and you're new to this whole Christianity thing, that, that's the best life available to us. That, that's the life with the most purpose. That's the life with, with true fulfillment. That, that's the life that leads to true contentment, undeniably something, Christian or not, that we are all after. Before we really dive into this series here today, Travel Light, I would love to pray for all of you and pray for myself, frankly, so allow me to do that now. God, we thank you that you're a God that, uh, that cares so much for every person in this room. It's crazy for me to think that uh, you knew who was going to be sitting in this room today uh, when you created the world, when you created the heavens and the earth. None of this has caught you by surprise. And so, God, I, I, it doesn't matter why we're here today. I, I just pray that that whoever we are, wherever we're at in our lives, uh, we would just be open to whatever it is that you want to say to us today. And it's your name we pray, amen. Well, again, uh, we're starting, what the heck is it? Um, uh, we're starting... I'm just messing with all you guys. Uh, today, we are talking, aren't you just relieved right now? Your pastor's not having a meltdown right in front of you. Today, we are talking about letting go of distractions. Do any of you, by a show of hands, have a hard time focusing? Come on, admit to it. Have a hard time focusing? That there's a lot around us that, that begs, that, that vies for our attention and thus distracts us. Some of you, in fact, as you sit here right now, you are distracted. You're thinking about where you're going to go eat after this. You're wondering what in the heck happens in this building the other six days a week. Who let this 16-year-old become a pastor? Your phone's buzzing in your pocket, alerting you to all sorts of things that, let's be honest, you don't really even care about. It's Jamie's birthday today. That's awesome. You don't even know who Jamie is. Why did you accept Jamie's friend request? It's really, really difficult to focus. It's kind of ironic. E even as I, I stand up here and I, I preach on Sunday mornings, in particular on a week like 
today where I'm talking about letting go of distractions, there's a lot that actually distracts me as I stand on this stage. Some of you, you, you uh, show up to church and you like to give your jaw a workout with like how you chew your gum. Uh, some of y'all, you sit there and you giggle and you laugh with the person next to you and the whole time I'm wondering, are they laughing at me? Is, is my fly down? Uh, there's always a couple crying babies. Some of y'all sit there and you, and you play on your phones. You got to get ready for that, like that Cyber Monday shopping, like you're ready for that. Some of y'all, you sit here and you bring snacks. Like, who eats Doritos at 11 o'clock? Apparently, some of you. Some of you, this is the worst one. You sleep, and it's like, that is just really inspiring stuff for people like me. No joke. When I first started, got, started speaking in public settings like this, I was preaching at a church about 25 minutes south of here, and I'll never forget this, sitting right here in the front left section, uh, that there was a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl that was sitting there, and she might as well have been wearing a sign around her neck that said, like, nothing do I hate more than, than being in church right now. Like, her face was, was so disgruntled, so she clearly didn't want to be there with her parents. And, and I walked up on the stage, and honestly, pretty nervous, heart kind of beating out of my chest. It took a while to work through that, and and when I got on there, I, I noticed that she was sitting there. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to make it my mission today to make sure that she enjoys church. She is going to love this sermon. And I am not making this up. 30 seconds into my sermon, she pulled out a neck pillow. She brought a neck pillow to church. She proceeded to strap that bad boy on, cock her head to the left, and slept for the entirety of my sermon. I was like, that is really inspiring stuff. I'm glad I'm reaching that younger generation. All you guys are going to come walking in like an army regiment next week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of weeks ago, a couple of years ago, back when I was still in, in medical sales, uh, I was driving in this country road down in Ohio, nothing but cornfields around me, uh, no other cars on the roads to be seen. And so admittedly, I was driving probably a little bit faster than I should have been, going about 75 and, and a 55, racing to this next appointment. Now, I, what I'm about to tell you, don't judge me for this. I realized that it was wrong. I realized that I shouldn't have been doing these things and how reckless it was. But I was doing, let's say, a little bit of multitasking when I was behind the wheel. So I had it on cruise control, again, about 75. I was steering with my left knee. I'm a very good near steerer, okay? And then uh, in my right leg, I had my laptop open. In my left hand, I had my phone. And in my right hand, I had the patient's file. And I was sifting through it, trying to figure out what I needed to do when I got to this patient's home. And then, wouldn't you know it, a Jeep Wrangler pulled out in, in front of me. Uh, I didn't notice right away because... I was a little distracted. And so by the time I realized like, oh crud, there's a car in front of me, it was too late. I had two options. I could either ram into the vehicle again, probably only going 30, 35, I'm going 75. Uh, or I could take control back from my left knee, probably just a smart idea in general, and, and try to swerve around the vehicle real quick and make it around them. So I chose the second option, uh, except it was still too close. And so when I tried to rip by this vehicle, the front right of my bumper hit the back left of their bumper. And no joke, as I'm ripping by this car, I watched, I hit it with such force as the vehicle went up on two tires and then safely came back to earth. It, it was terrifying. I immediately pulled over. If you've ever been in an accident before, you shake like uncontrollably, or maybe that's just a me thing. I, I shake uncontrollably. I'm like, in that moment, like, okay, my car looks like a bomb went off in it. There's patient files all over. My laptop, my phone are lying, like who knows where. I get out of the car, and, and the other guy gets out, and I just start profusely apologizing to him. Like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I let that happen. And he was actually super kind. He's like, you know, if it's all good with you, let's not get the cops involved. I'll just send you the bill, and I was like, yeah, let's definitely go with that option, okay? And then he asked me the million-dollar question. He asked me, what happened? And I was like, dude, if you only knew what was happening in this vehicle just moments before I struck you, you would probably not be so gracious towards me right now. 
But what was going on in my car that day was in so many ways a completely accurate depiction of so many of our lives. You're running around, you're getting kids to soccer practice, you're trying to return emails to your boss, you're thinking about that project that you have to help later on with your kids, you're listening to a podcast, you're posting pictures to Instagram because you need to keep up that reputation that your life is perfect and everything's actually together, you're grabbing dinner for the family, you're dealing with that car repair, shoot, you forgot to pay that bill, it just won't stop. It's a fight to focus. Will you say that with me? It's a fight to focus. But I think as, as we will all discover today, it's, it's certainly a fight that's worth fighting. This word distraction that we're gonna be honing in on this morning, it actually comes from a Latin word that was formed in the 1590s and, and literally translated back then, it was a pulling apart. It was a separating, a drawing of the mind in different directions. See, see, our world and, and subsequently the evil one is trying at every turn to distract you from living for the things that matter most. T trying to pull you apart, trying to divide your mind, to discourage your soul, dis disengage your faith, distract you from those things that matter most. D don't miss this. The evil one doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. If he can distract you and thus take away your focus on from what matters most, he knows that he's winning. I, I want to draw our attention today to, to a story, to an event that not only shows the love of Jesus really, really well, but also his encouragement to stay focused on what matters most. We, we find this story documented for us in, in this book that we call Luke. For those of you that aren't super familiar with this book that we call the Bible, Luke, along with three other books, Matthew, Mark, and John, they document the life of Jesus from four different people's perspectives. Luke, uh, interestingly enough, he was actually a, a doctor. He didn't believe things for the sake of, the, of belief. He, he needed the hard evidence. He needed the proof. And so he was hearing all these things about this guy that went by the name uh, of Jesus. And so he dedicated the latter part of his life to thoroughly investigating the events surrounding the life of Jesus. And then he documented these things for us in this account that we call Luke. Now, in this particular story, to set the stage a little bit, Jesus has been invited into a home with two ladies, two sisters, Mary and Martha. They're hosting kind of a dinner party for Jesus and some of Jesus' closest friends. And there's where we pick up in the 10th chapter of Luke. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her, her sister Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing now, if, if I try to put myself into the shoes of, of Martha in this story, I don't think I can really blame her for this. Because after all, Jesus just showed up at your door, right? Okay, like, even those of you that are new to this whole Christianity thing, you're certainly not sure of things like the divinity of Jesus. I guarantee you still, if Jesus shows up at your house, that, that's going to be kind of a big deal. This isn't the night where you bust out hot and readies and mac and cheese. Well, maybe like Velveeta shells and cheese. Those things are like liquid gold. No, no, you're going to go all out. You're going to make sure that this is one of the best meals that he has ever had because, again, it's, it's Jesus. You're probably frantically running around the house. You're sweating. You're putting on this smile, though, that everything's okay. Meanwhile, you're actually an anxiety-stricken mess. But again, I get it. She's distracted by all of the preparations that she's trying to make for Jesus. She's trying to make sure that everything is just right. But eventually, 
She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Tell her to come and help me. She, she's complaining about her sister. She's like, hey, Jesus, whenever you get around to it, why don't you tell my lazy, no good sister to get her rear end in the kitchen with me? We got things to do. How does she not notice how hard I am working? How could she possibly just sit there while I'm working my tail off, making sure that everything is just right for you? Now, I recognize this might not be the greatest subject to bring up so close to the holiday season, but, but don't we all have at least like one person like this in our families? That, that's audibly replied. It's like, okay, don't, don't point to that person next to you. That, that lazy person that never seems to do much, they never bring anything to the meal. If they do, it's like a half-drank two-liter. The carbonation's already gone. That, that, that if they get your name for like the family gift exchange, the bag is always shockingly light, and you open it up, and wouldn't you know it, there's a picture of a present to be. And then they go through their typical you know, excuses of like, you know, stupid post office. They never deliver gifts on time. It's like, nope, you probably just waited till last night to order it. They're like, don't worry. We'll get it to you next time we're together. It's like, I see you one time a year, so I will never see that. That person that wears sweats to the family portrait session, they fall asleep on the couch when there's like 30 different people in your home. It's like, no problem. You take up four spots. Other people just sit on the floor. But watch. Watch how Jesus responds to this. It's this very unusual expression of love by Jesus. And you just have to imagine that this calming presence, this demeanor that went before Jesus. Martha, she's frantic. She's sweating. It's, it's like, oh my gosh, she's a hot mess. And Jesus just looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha. You're worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed and actually only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Notice Jesus' choice of words here. He says, few things are needed. He, he doesn't say few things are important he doesn't say few things really matter. He says few things are needed. He's going, Martha, listen, your heart's in a great place. I appreciate that you're going the extra mile, that you're trying to make this whole thing really, really special for me. Come on, I see your hard work, but Martha, you're distracted. Martha, you have so much going on. You're distracted by so many different things but actually only a few things really matter. Only a few things are needed. It's important we understand this. Martha was certainly not doing anything wrong. She, she wasn't doing anything bad. She, she certainly wasn't committing some terrible sin. No, no, she was simply choosing good over best. See, see the most difficult choices aren't over right and wrong, but between good and best. Because see, every adult in this room you know the difference between right and wrong. And I know that because you all have built into your brains a little thing called a conscience that intuitively steers you away from what is wrong and towards what is right. Doesn't mean you always listen to it, but you know the difference between right and wrong. That is easy. Know what's challenging. Well, what's difficult to master is choosing between good and best. For, for, for a number of you that, that are sitting here today, that the evil one figured out a long time ago that he's not going to get you to do things that are downright evil, that are downright sinister, like these horrible, wretched things. But he does know, he does know that he can distract you from using your life for God. 
He, he can distract you from using your life for good and doing that which will ultimately have an eternal impact. And, and so the question that, that we wanna wrestle to the ground this morning is, is how do we choose what's best? And, and in turn, let go of distractions and, and truly focus on what's gonna lead to the best life. The life that, again, God so desperately wants for you. The first thing I wrote down in response to this question is, diminish the distractions. Profound stuff, huh? Let's listen to what Paul had to say on this matter. Paul, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, Paul uh, was the guy that was responsible for spreading the name of Jesus around much of the ancient first century Mediterranean world. He went around talking about Jesus and starting all these these churches all over the place. In fact, honestly, we, we probably would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for the work of Paul in the first century. And he wrote all these letters back to these churches that he helped to start. And one of those letters is titled 1 Corinthians because he was writing to the people living in Corinth. And notice when he says this, he's talking as it relates to marriage and relationship. But it actually applies in every area of our lives. He says, I'm saying this for your benefit not to place restrictions on you. Which, by the way, if you're sitting here today, and again, you're new to this whole Christianity thing, we can so often think of Christianity as one giant restriction, one big rule on our lives, and Paul says, not so fast. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. He's saying, if you sit here today, and in particular, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, do whatever you must do to serve the Lord best. Get rid of anything, no matter how important it might seem right now. Get rid of anything that distracts you from that. Don't accept average. Don't compare yourself to the other Christians of the world and give yourself this sort of boost because you happen to be doing a slightly better job than the Christian next to you. Don't fall into the comparison trap. Strive for the best. Set the bar incredibly high. And if you're gonna make that a reality, you have to diminish distractions. One thing that I continue to advocate for and admittedly can get on somewhat of a high horse about is taking control of, of these things right here, T- taking control of our phones. Because for so many people, and you've never thought about it in these terms, but, but you're a slave to your phone. It's become like literally like the third member of the Trinity. It's like father, son, holy phone. It's, it's right there. And, and you might think that slave is perhaps harsh language, but let's look at the definition of a slave. A slave is a person who is excessively dependent upon or controlled by something. And for a lot of us, again, you won't admit this to anybody else, but you are excessively dependent upon or controlled by your phone. If, if you don't believe me, here's an exercise for you when you leave. Don't do it now because that will thus distract you. But, but pull out your iPhone, scroll to the left. By the way, I don't know if they have this feature on Android devices, but if you have an Android device, you're probably kind of used to missing out on features. So you scroll to the left and then you go down. <laughs> And a while back, Apple introduced this update where they tell you screen time. They they will literally tell you how much time you are spending each day staring at this glowing rectangle. And I'm telling you, if you've never done this before, you will be appalled. It's incredible. When I first did it, I was spending on average over three hours a day staring at my phone. I'm not proud of that, but before you're too quick to judge me, why don't you check yourself out your screen time too, because I guarantee it's up there as well. We spend so much time just staring at our phones. Listen to this. The average American, this is not an exaggerated figure, and in fact, it continues to go up. The average American will spend seven years of their life staring at their phone. 
I think we could adequately call that a distraction. And the reason I'm making a fairly big deal of this is because I truly believe that this is the number one tool that the evil one will use to distract us. Now, now, now hear me clearly. I don't want this to be taken out of context. I don't think phones are evil. I don't think that Samsung and Apple are being ran by Satan. But, but come on, our phones, almost unlike anything else in our lives, have this unique ability to distract us in virtually every situation that life throws at us. On, on Tuesdays, I take both of my kids, my three-year-old daughter, my two-year-old son on date night, and I let them pick where, wherever they wanna go. And despite my best efforts, they keep picking McDonald's and that awful playland. I hate it so much, I really do. It's just chaos and there's kids running around there with like cheeseburgers, like pickles flying around. I'm just like, oh my gosh, it like gives me anxiety. I'm like, can't wait for my kids to wake up in the morning with the flu, this is gonna be great. Um, and what's interesting is, is like most Tuesdays, again, I, I find myself at the stinking playland. I, I make a conscious effort when I'm there to turn my phone on, do not disturb, and I put it in my pocket. And I really don't check it. I'll maybe check it like one or two times just to make sure that my wife's not trying to get a hold of me. But I, I've noticed the last couple times that I've been there, as I look around, I'm not the only psychotic parent that brings their kids to this playland. I, I look around. And every other parent, I, I literally couldn't think of a single occasion where I didn't look around and see every other parent, they were just staring at their phone. And my kids, you know, it's not like you could do much. You can't climb up in the playland. That's creep status. So I just kind of sit there and just watch them. And every once in a while, they'll yell down, Daddy, watch, not realizing I can't really see what's going on. And I'll interact back and forth with them. And again, my kids aren't the only ones to do that. And as these other kids yell down to the parents, most of the time, they don't even lift their head from the screen. They're like, oh, that's, that's great, honey. I saw that. I'm like, liar. You did not see that. You were staring at your phone. The point, life is happening right in front of us and, and we're missing it. So, so rather than being controlled by our phones, likely the biggest or one of the biggest distractions in our lives, how about we begin to take control of them? What, what's crazy is that this is actually easier to do than ever. Again, when Apple released this update of screen time, and I, I've actually wondered as I was preparing this message, I was like, why did they do this? It's like, nobody's like, this is awesome. Six hours, bet I can get it up to eight. But anyway, they released a screen time update and you can actually set up now app restrictions and you can set up downtime. So this is how I got this under control in my life. From 6 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. every single day, my phone shuts down. And the only things that I have access to are text messages, email, the Bible app, and the actual thing that makes phone calls. Every other thing locks up. And the reason I chose those four is because I never sit there for 45 minutes just like looking at old text messages. It's like the Instagrams and Snapchat and things like that that consume my time. And then you can have somebody that you trust set up a passcode. And so my wife set up a passcode. I have no idea what it is. And so even if I got that urge at like seven o'clock and it was downtime mode at that point, and I said, hey, honey, I really want to jack around on Instagram. She's like, nope, tough luck. She ain't going to give it to me. She likes the fact that her husband is more present in the evenings. She likes the fact that, that her husband, rather than sitting on the couch, and I never did it intentionally, and jacking around on Instagram for 15 minutes is instead like rolling around on the ground and playing with the kids. For some of you, you're wasting an enormous amount of time on just like one or two apps. And again, that's where those app restrictions come into play, where, where you can set up like, hey, listen, I'm only going to spend 10 minutes on Snapchat a day. And then when those 10 minutes is up, again, that thing locks up. Have somebody else set up a password so that you can't break through. We are capable of endless self-deception. If you don't have that password set up, you're just going to click right through and keep on scrolling. Now, what's interesting is I, I've talked about this in a myriad of different settings. 
And universally, when I talk about this, it's exactly what's going on right now. Everyone's like, yep, spend too much time on my phone. We all nod our heads. And what's interesting is when I follow up with people, I'm like, well, so did you do it? Did you set up downtime? Did you put on app restrictions? They're like, nope. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad that my messages are driving home. I I want to challenge you today. Married, single, 15, 48, I don't care where you fall. Will you set up these restrictions today? Because let me tell you, after, since I've been doing this, I've been doing this for about six months, I, I have literally missed out on nothing. Wouldn't you know it, Instagram was adding zero value to my life. It's made things better. It's made me a better husband. It's made me a better dad. Challenge yourself when you leave here today. Set up those restrictions. Take control of your phone or they will take control of you. Your life is too great and it's too short to waste away on good when best is available. Some of you, you really, really need to hear this today. God has an incredible plan for your life. He he places tremendous value on you. And if you ever doubt that, remember, he sent his one and his only son to die for you. But the reality is, is that you're too distracted to even see that truth. I know I can get a little animated and fired up talking about this, but, but here's why. We, we must start treating distractions the same way that we treat sin. Because honestly, I think they lead to the same place, pulling you away from the best life, the most fulfilling life, and ultimately pulling you away from true intimacy with God, or a relationship that he so desperately wants with you. In the Old Testament, which is kind of the first half of the Bible, we have this book called Proverbs. It's filled just kind of with like practical everyday wisdom for for living. And uh, in one of the passages in the fifth chapter, it's actually intended for men to avoid immoral women. And the writer says there, stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Not, Not invite her in for a drink, not flirt a little, not go to a coffee house and talk about your newfound love for indie music. Stay away. When possible, eliminate the distraction altogether. So so shut your door. Turn the phone on airplane mode. Cancel Netflix. Cancel Hulu. Cancel Disney Plus. I know you just got it. You survived without it before. You'll be okay again. Delete the app. Turn off the notifications. Sell the Xbox. Turn off the radio and instead spend time with Jesus while you're driving. Some of you, your friends know this. You haven't come to grips with it yet. You're dating one big distraction. You're dating a human being that is constantly pulling you away from what is best. Distance yourself from that which distracts you from God. Christian or not, I'm telling you, it's worth the fight. Number two, we gotta focus on the important. Focus on the important. Again, another passage for us, again, this this wisdom out of Proverbs, a great book. Again, if you never picked up and read the Bible for yourself, read Proverbs. Again, just everyday wisdom for life. It says this, set your gaze on the path before you. With fixed purpose, looking straight ahead, ignore life's distractions. Watch where you're going. Stick to the path of truth, and the road will be safe and smooth before you. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked for even a moment or take the detour that leads to darkness. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Perhaps the, the greatest and most literal example that we have of this is a particular occasion where Jesus is hanging out with some of his closest friends and Uh, He decides to send them back across this lake from from where they came. And he says, I'll I'll hitch a ride later on. He says, I'll catch up with you guys later. And so 
his disciples, his best friends, they, they jump into this boat and they start going to the other side, but it's a windy, kind of you know, cloudy day. And, and as hard as they're rowing, they're, they're making like zero progress. And then to make matters worse, all of a sudden, a ghost comes walking at them. And so now they're all terrified, but as the ghost gets closer, they recognize it's not actually a ghost, it's Jesus. They're like, go figure, Jesus is showing off again. As he gets right next to the boat, Peter looks at him, he's like, hey, that's pretty sweet walking on water. I've never seen anybody do that before. Can, can I walk on the water? And Jesus is like, that, that's fine. Just stay focused on me. And so it works out for a couple of steps. And, and then Peter starts to realize the waves are actually pretty big. And, and he starts to feel the wind all around him. And he's looking up and he's seeing the clouds. He, he gets pulled in different directions by all these distractions. And, and he begins to sink. So many of you that are sitting here today, you're sinking because you are so focused on your distractions. You're looking at everything going on around you. You're seeing how everything seems stacked against you rather than staying focused on the prize, rather than staying focused on Jesus. This is one of the many reasons that we make such a big deal of daily encounter around here, of making sure that you're spending daily time with Jesus and it's why we would so advocate for, for all of you to spend that time with Jesus first thing in the morning. The very first thing that you do when your head comes flying off the pillow, focus on what's important and watch how the rest of your day begins to fall into place. Y'all, nobody stumbles into a relationship with Jesus. It takes intentionality. It takes that daily persistent focus on what's most important. I realize that for some of you sitting here today, again, you're new to this whole Christianity thing, or maybe you've been at this church thing for a little bit, and you're waiting for that moment. You're waiting until you have that like 100% confidence, until you totally believe, and it's like there's no doubt in your mind, and then you'll jump all in. Then you'll start taking these challenges to spend time with Jesus seriously. Can I tell you, it's called faith for a reason. Move towards him, and he will move towards you. If you've ever wondered how a person in the midst of, of extraordinary tragedy, in the midst of crisis in their lives, maintains a positive spirit and almost this relentless dependence on God, this is it. Reconciled is a great word. I have, um, I have four beautiful daughters now. About five years ago, I was pregnant and went in for a regular ultrasound. And as soon as the ultrasound started, we could just tell something was really wrong. And a few minutes later, I heard the words that no mother ever wants to hear, your child is not going to live. Um, they suggested that we terminate the pregnancy but I just knew that that wasn't what God had for me. And in fact, when the technician was doing the ultrasound, she said, I'm gonna bring the doctor in and he's gonna confirm what I'm looking at, but it doesn't look good. From what we're seeing, your daughter's not gonna survive. You're not, you're not ever gonna bring her home, but he's gonna come in and he's gonna talk to you. So just sit here for a minute. And so my husband and I sat in this dark room, staring at the screen and waiting for the doctor to come in. And when he came in, he said, sweetheart, what are you thinking right now? 
And I just kept saying over and over and over and over again, my Jesus is the same as he was before I walked in this room. He's the same. And I'll be honest and tell you that there was a lot of me that didn't feel that. The majority of me didn't feel that. But I pushed the words out. And I just said, I believe he's the same. He has not forsaken me. He hasn't forgotten me. He knows that I'm sitting in this room. And so we carried her. And um, on April 7th, 2008, I delivered a little girl who was alive when she was born. Her name was Audrey Caroline, and she lived for two and a half hours. We loved her a lifetime's worth, that short amount of time. Watched her get her first bath and a little haircut. But later that night when everyone was gone and it was just my husband and I alone with her, as time went on, we knew that we were gonna have to call a nurse to come in and take her. And I think up until that point, all of the things that I had wrestled with in my faith were much more on paper than they were in the flesh. But I had to hand my daughter to someone and watch her be taken away from me knowing that I wouldn't see her again this side of heaven. And as I lay in that hospital bed, and everything in me wanted to just bang on all the buttons and tell them to bring her back. I really called out to God in a way I never had before, and I just said, I can't do this, and I need you to just be here right now. I just need you to hold me. He did. He did. So reconciling is a good word. Um, I don't know that we'll ever, ever do it perfectly, but I will tell you that in that moment, I saw um, a side of God that I've never experienced and have never forgotten since then. Just his faithfulness to one girl in a hospital room who's devastated. And I just really felt that he was there. That type of perseverance, it, it doesn't happen by accident. That's, that's not something that that woman stumbled into. It's because there was a focus on what was important. She continued to stay focused on that, which could never be taken away from her. And the last thing I wrote in response to this, how do we choose what's best? Listen to the voice of God. When, when I bring up points like this, uh, the whole listening idea and listening to God, I, I, I often get pushback from people. That from, they'll say things like, you know, but that's, that's great for you, but, but God never seems to speak to me. And, and, and if that's your, your feeling this morning, um, I'd like to share something with you. I'd like to be perhaps a little blunt with you. Perhaps the reason that you don't ever seem to hear from God is because you've never drawn close to him because you don't actually have what, what could possibly be called a relationship with him. I, honestly, just very practically speaking, why would he speak to you? Do, do, do people that hardly know you 
pick up the phone randomly and speak truth and advice into your life? Is it possible that the only time you really seem to speak to God or draw close to God is when there's some sort of crisis in your life? When, when, when you need something from him? Again, it's, it's why it's so important to fight for that quiet, undistracted time with your creator. We, we as people, and, and I totally get this because I, I've done this as well, we, we, we kind of want to just fit God into the midst of the chaos of our lives when, when it's most convenient for us. It's like, okay, speak here, God. I got 30 seconds for you now. I got another 20 seconds at, at, before I go to bed, before I start getting you know, all sleepy. But, but, but for me, that's, that's not when he tends to speak. He speaks when I've, I've carved out that intentional time with him and I've, I've made him an actual priority, not just an afterthought. And, and when you know it, the closer you get, the more he speaks and, and the louder that that voice seems. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a, a Blaze Pizza uh, out in Novi with a couple friends of mine and uh, sitting right next to us in another table was, was a family, uh, husband, wife, and uh, their two sons, uh, one was probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, and the other one, you know, was maybe five, six. And the, the younger boy, the, the, the five or six-year-old, uh, he had Down syndrome, and, and it was just like, as I'm watching this, it was like, man, you could just tell that every moment of every day was a test of these parents' patience, that, 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 that parenting that child was, was a huge challenge. And, and as I sat there and I watched this family throughout the meal, I was just blown away. Like, like literally, it was like eating with my mouth open because of how patient this father was with his son. In the midst of every fight, in the midst of every tantrum, he'd just so calmly speak to, to his child and rub his back. And I'm watching all of this, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I am not a very good father. Like, it's just incredible what was happening in front of my eyes. And as we're sitting there, um, I really felt like God was telling me, like, you need to go offer this guy some encouragement. And if you're anything like me in those moments, you start thinking of excuses, and you start thinking why that would be a terrible idea, and what if he's offended by me complimenting all these things, but God wouldn't let up. And so uh, we finally got done eating, and the other two guys started to walk towards the door, and I made my way over to his table, and I just said, hey, you, you don't know me, obviously, but um, I just want to tell you, I, I've been watching you uh, this entire meal. And how you are parenting your son is blowing my mind. I wish that I had half the patience that you have with your son. Thank you for showing the love of Jesus to your boy so well. And, and he looked up at me and he said, oh, thanks, I, I appreciate you saying that. And he had a big smile on his face. And then he directed his eyes towards my hat, which there's Grumlaw on my hat. And uh, again, I'm out in Novi, not exactly right around the corner. And then he goes, you go to Grumlaw? I was like, yeah. I was like, you've heard of Grumlaw? And he goes, yeah, I actually have. He's like, I, I, uh, I go to church out here at this place called Oak Points, an awesome church out in Novi. And he's like, and I've, I've actually heard Grumlaw's name thrown around as one of the new churches in the area that, that seems to be making an impact. He's like, that's really awesome. And, you know, we shook each other's hand and told me his name, and I told him mine. And I, I don't want to make this moment out to be bigger than it was, but I walked out of that restaurant that day with the biggest grin on my face. If I would have just said a nice thing to that guy, it would have been good enough. I still would have been happy I said that. But it was like God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to almost reward you for this. I'm going to put this cherry on top to reassure you that you ought to always listen to my voice. If I'm honest, I, I didn't really have any moments like that for the first half of my life. 
But, but it was because I didn't really know him. And, and honestly, even when God did speak, I, I usually didn't listen. I, I doubted his voice. I diminished his voice. I, I would explain away his voice. All that's changed for me now and for some of the people that are sitting in this room is we just try to listen. We, we just try to be obedient when God happens to speak. And then we have these cool stories that build our faith of when God shows off. But the reality is, is if we don't listen, if we're not obedient, we're not really even giving God the space to show up and show off in our lives. I'm not gonna allow the noise of this world to distract me from the voice of God. Will you make that your battle cry? Will you truly declare war on the distractions in your life? I'm telling you that you draw close to God and he will draw close to you. And Jesus said, he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Let, let's stop settling for good when best is available. Let's instead focus on Jesus, that one thing that can never be taken away from us. To take control of your distractions or they will surely take control of you. you all, your life is valuable. It's why the God of the universe died for you. God has placed a great calling on your life. Your God is so good. Why would we continue to waste our lives on the things that don't last? Let, let's instead decide to focus on that which will never be taken away from us.